0: are here at 11fs headquarters in london we work for episode 17 of blockchain insider today we bring you another all-time high bitcoin breaks six thousand dollars did the ico bubble just pop troubled waters for tezos and there's a small matter of an 11 trillion dollars moving towards blockchain production with the dtcc now on with the news Hey Colin, uh, at Colin G. Platt, how are you sir? Good to have you back. Doing fantastic, how are we? Yeah, not too bad at all. We're recording in interesting times for all things blockchain. We've seen some all-time highs. Coindesk seem to be... Uh, talking about a quiet surge here, whereas Bitcoin uh, price hits the new all-time high above $6,000. Um, so with with a lot of people saying there's, uh, there's no right or wrong price, there's a whole thing, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people speculating that Bitcoin's a scam, it just seems to keep marching on and then the bubble looks like it's popped and then it keeps coming back. Is Bitcoin dead? Long live Bitcoin once again?
1: I'm looking forward to all of these stories that are coming out saying that Bitcoin has crashed from $6,000 down to whatever it is uh, right now, about 5800 or something. It's, it's amazing that it does keep going up. Um, a lot of it seems to be around uh, institutional money. We, we talked a lot about Jamie Dimon over the last few weeks. Uh, fortunately, we didn't hear anything about Bitcoin from Jamie Dimon this week. Uh, but there have been a lot of people that have come out on both sides uh, including strategists at, at the world's largest asset management firm, BlackRock, talking about um, how there's no right or wrong price for Bitcoin, potentially could keep going up. Uh, we had LedgerX, which is a the first CFTC regulated, that's the Commodities Future Trading Commission, regulated Bitcoin derivatives exchanges, come online, trade over a million dollars in their first week, which is fantastic to see. Um, and other firms getting into this, um, we have seen On the uh, more skeptical side, um, Prince Alouid of Saudi Arabia has come out and said that it's uh, the next Enron in the making. Uh, But there was a really interesting one in here that you found, Simon, from the Financial Times.
0: Yeah, so I, I did like that um, it seems everyone's got an opinion on Bitcoin right now, which which says something. But what's uh, a what's more important signal to me is this FT story. Uh, I think the title of the story is Wall Street Firms Jump Into Cryptocurrencies, which I don't know if ever, anybody remembers Scrooge McDuck. Um, this might be a kind of a niche reference, but Scrooge McDuck was always trying to jump into his money, which always looks like it should be quite painful and you can't swim through coins. But Wall Street firms like DRW are looking to make money on the volatile. Volatility, whilst other firms feel like they can't get in because of the lack of regulatory certainty. Um, And there was a uh, kind of a survey done, I think, somewhere in here as well, that said one of the number one positions that the firms surveyed in the asset manager space would like to take would be uh, they would like to be long Bitcoin. They would like, in other words, they would like to buy a lot of Bitcoin and potentially uh, hold it or try and uh, trade it for, for profit. Which might explain why so many um, bank CEOs and others feel the need to talk about it because their clients are talking about it. Uh, So uh, I just feel like we've we've talked about this a lot on recent shows, but this is now finally evidence coming out in kind of the mainstream uh, financial press saying, hey, look, this demand from institutions is real, um, even though there's a different approach in China to, say, Japan, for instance.
1: Absolutely. And I think the other thing would be remiss to, uh, to not touch a, a bit on, but we won't go in depth is this Bitcoin gold. So, um, if you recall, we, we spoke a few shows ago about Bitcoin cash being airdropped. Essentially, if you held one Bitcoin, on day X, uh, the next day you also had, um, Bitcoin cash. We just had another thing go, go live, um, Tuesday, Australia, London time, uh, Monday in, in the Western hemisphere, uh, Bitcoin gold, uh, was announced that they took a snapshot. And if you were holding Bitcoin in a regular Bitcoin wallet, not necessarily in an exchange, you also have Bitcoin gold and that's trading somewhere around $400 now. So there was a lot of interest where people think, oh, free money. Um, it is an interesting project. I don't know if it's as well supported as Bitcoin Cash or this Bitcoin uh, 2x, but that was probably part of this price.
0: You can see why people find this subject confusing when there's not just one Bitcoin anymore, there's a whole bunch of them. And uh, But to the outside world, uh, I wonder if this space is steadily becoming uh, more legitimized. Um, I saw a stat that said 63% of all Bitcoin is now focused in Japan where they've regulated 11 exchanges. Um, there's potential growth in any economy that's able to legitimize those exchanges and perhaps that's what we'll see coming out of China in the near future. But we've got to move to the probably the story of the week, Colin, a section we're lovingly titling ICO Implosions. Um, and there's this great story here from uh, Reuters by the wonderful journalist Anna Herrera, a good friend of the show, talks about battle imperiling the $230 million cryptocurrency venture. This one's all about uh, Tezos, who, of course, uh, were interviewed on episode one of Blockchain Insider. Uh, what's going on here, Colin?
1: All right. So Tezos, uh, this was massive this week. Um, so let, if we recall, um, and go back to episode one and listen to that again, if you're interested in the project, Tezos, um, earlier this year, I believe in August, raised about $230 million uh, in a combination of Bitcoin and uh, Ether, the Ethereum currency, to fund essentially a competitor to Ethereum. It had all kinds of fancy things, including um, rather than using proof of work, i.e., the, the mining where you plug in heavy duty hardware and lots of electricity and burn that essentially to compete to validate the network. They were using something called proof of stake and they had lots of other upgrades to deal with um essentially and, and quite ironically in this um governance. Well what came out in this Reuters article um earlier this week was uh essentially that um when they set this up, they set up a nonprofit foundation in Switzerland. And they set up a private limited company in the United States um, called DLS or Distributed Ledger Solutions. Um, when you were uh, giving them this two hundred thirty million dollars, effectively that was a donation to the Swiss um, Shiftung or nonprofit. It was understood that though there was no legal obligation and there was all kind of risk, including uh, the fact that Tezos Tezis their their native currency may never come of age, that this nonprofit foundation may give you something that, at the time, they likened to a tote bag. Uh, essentially, you may get it just for donating it. Um, well, what came out was the Arthur and Kathleen Brightman, the founders of DLS and ultimately the the whole uh, Tezo scheme, had a falling out with uh, the person that they asked to be the chairman of this nonprofit foundation. Um, they've accused him of... Uh, taking in more money than he necessarily should, giving himself a bonus and doing self-dealing. Um, he's turned around and accused them of not giving the, the foundation the independence, which questions the the whole setup they put in here, which a lot of lawyers have, have questioned. And we're going to speak with Stephen Pelly next week, um, who's commented on this a lot since the beginning, um, not only for this, uh, but for many other ICOs that have used a similar setup. The, the question really comes down to have people put in $230 million into something that, may just vanish into thin air because uh, a few people have had a falling out. um, Or is this something that can be pulled back together? It'll be an interesting thing to watch. Um, And I will note uh, in the show notes, there was uh, something that came out from Arthur Brightman, a blog post on Medium where he talked a bit about his side of the story. Um, And there's already lawsuits coming out with people saying, well, this was an investment contract. Um, We put two in here, which we won't really go into depth with, uh, but there is a lot of money on the line, as you can imagine. Uh, with the price of Bitcoin and Ether going up, uh, a lot of people speculated that the the total amount they actually hold is closer to four hundred million dollars. It'll be interesting to see where the chips lie when everything uh, ultimately comes
0: to rest. Completely makes sense, Colin. I think the risk of that foundation model in Switzerland has been exposed. Um, Tezos talked about having you know real. Uh, Pushed towards having strong governance and in a way having strong governance and then having empowered a foundation to control the capital. Uh, it was always possible that the, uh, the company that was supplying uh, the technology to that foundation may fall out with it in some way. And we didn't know what was going to happen when it did. Uh, and that's, I guess, challenging for any founder. With this um, foundation model. And it seems to be the model that a lot of ICOs have taken, with the possible exception of Block One and EOS, who've gone from a, very, a kind of a unique model. Pretty much everybody else has this foundation in Zug, Switzerland, that uh, you donate to. And then that foundation would then pay uh, a software company for the development of the, the core technology that the foundation is designed to build. And if that core technology takes off, then those tokens that you hold may increase in value. Um, but also it seems like people were investing in them because they'd raised a lot of ether, they had a lot of bitcoin and they had nowhere really to invest them that was going to or that they believed that was going to increase their growth so they were looking for somewhere to to kind of put that put that um, capital now we find ourselves in this interesting spot
1: yeah and i think this also highlights uh what a lot of people have been saying is um you can raise too much money if you're a startup uh at any stage and particularly in early stages um, Tim Draper, who was a a very prominent venture capitalist in the Silicon Valley, um, famously put money in this in very early stages. He's come out and said, oh, well, I invested money in the company, DLS, when it was just two people and an idea. And I think that was only a couple of months before. So they've gone from Tim Draper investing money in them when they were two people to within six months raising a quarter million dollars. Quarter of a billion, yeah, yeah. It's a big number, and it's hard to believe that they could use that effectively in the short amount of time. I, I wish them the best. I think it's an interesting project. Um, it could go many, many different directions from here. Uh, people have started speculating about refunds. Um, one of the things we were joking about earlier this week is um, it is conceivable that the foundation could nominate another uh, private company to uh, bring the Tezos vision to life that may or may not
0: include the Brightman's interesting times. Certainly, they came up with, uh, I think, a lot of the core ideas and arguably call intellectual property um, that Tezos is founded on and they could find themselves out in the cold because they were trying to build something that was truly decentralized and didn't need any one particular person and in so doing they find the, the human reality of potentially having themselves cut out of that uh, w- when humans fall out. I think it speaks to the immaturity in the blockchain space and there are a lot of uh, not not just the crypto asset space but especially in the ICO and token sales space um, there are a lot of folks now trying to build good practice um, across uh, Crypto Valley in Zug, Switzerland um, out of Singapore or William Moygar um, in the Waterloo and, uh, and, and Canada region and of course consensus have a lot of thoughts on, on how you do it properly as well um, but the regulators are starting to pay more and more attention, as we've mentioned on previous shows. If these ICOs become a new way of, of raising funds, and there have been a lot of scams, the time could be now, um, especially now some of the wheels are coming off some of the earlier ones, some of the bigger raisers. to figure out how to do this properly. And if this is a path to uh, raising liquidity, what type of project is it for, and what is the right amount to raise, become really key questions that somebody has to answer before they can consider it because the space is not without risks
1: yeah i mean this is it's the wild west right now uh, and the numbers are big we'll see what all comes down a really interesting story that that i do want to hit on here in the next part is um we've heard a lot about regulators particularly the sec we talked about the people's bank of china we talked about the cftc and we had jeff banman on the show twice and i think hopefully we'll get him back in the next week or so um the cftc has come out um and aligned with the sec in a I don't know if it's a report or an internal thing they put out. Um, It it was a paper they worked on talking about ICOs, um, these token sales. Not only could they be securities, but they could also be commodities. And they noted uh, that they were very much aligned with the SEC in calling Bitcoin uh, when they did a commodity itself. And derivatives on Bitcoin should be viewed as commodities, not as securities. Um, So that's really interesting for something like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But it also says these new ICOs, Tezos could be a security. In which case, in the United States, that falls under the remit of the SEC, um, or it could be something else which may fall under the remit of the CFTC. Um, and it could be imaginable that it's neither one of those things and it could fall under a myriad of other laws. So yeah. that'll be a really interesting thing to see. Um, be curious to, to see what you think about that, Simon, and, and particularly from a, a European lens.
0: Yeah, I think, Colin, before we do that, let's, let's just have you d- define the difference between a commodity and a security, because I think in, in Europe, we don't necessarily have the split of regulators in quite the same way. We, 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 I guess we do have ESMA, um, but the, uh, the clear difference of the two houses of the CFTC and the SEC in the USA, those are the two main regulators for any type of investable product. Um, could you just separate those out for the, for the audience? Because I think that's a really important distinction.
1: Okay, yeah, let's break that down. So um, the difference between a security and commodity first and then the, the remits of the SEC and the CFTC, respectively. Um, so uh, a security very simply is uh, demonstrated by ownership in a company. Um, we talked about the Howey test earlier with uh, Stephen Pally. We've talked about this on multiple occasions. Uh, essentially, it's a couple of rules around a financial product that demonstrates ownership in, in a common enterprise where uh, the people putting money in it are aiming to make money not through their own work, but through the work of uh, generally management. Um, So if you buy an Apple stock, you expect the price of Apple stock to go up over time uh, because they sell more products because they're so good at running companies. If you buy a bond or um, essentially a loan that's traded on the market, same idea. Now contrast this with a commodity, something like gold or oil, uh, that is just purely something that has a single global price and that you can trade. Now, the SEC, simply speaking, uh, the Securities Exchange Commission, deals with everything that's a security. So things like bonds, things like stocks or equity. Now, the CFTC kind of deals with everything else. Um, There's some oddities in there that we won't get into, but things like uh, gold, things like oil, derivatives on top of them, futures uh, in particular, also options. They also regulate things like FX, uh, foreign exchange. So if you are trading dollars versus euros, that comes under their remit rather than the SEC.
0: And I think it's fair to say that the CFTC has their Lab 2.0 initiative, uh, which is actually quite an interesting outreach. Um, and we had uh, Jeff Banman, who I think was one of the architects of that on one of our earlier shows. Uh, and they have been, I think, quite uh, quite open to innovation in both the DLT private blockchain space that we see happening amongst a lot of incumbent financial services companies, as well as some of the things we see in the permissionless blockchain space. And as you say, if it, if it looks more like gold or oil in that this is a thing that we trade but we there's no real company behind it nobody else is making its value grow then it would probably fit squarely with the CFTC but there are these ones uh, like Filecoin where it starts off as a way for a company to raise money but over time people may buy and sell and trade the thing as if it was a commodity um, because it represents the value in, inside of a network for for file storage for instance so You get these really interesting bits of legal jujitsu, which you can see why both regulators and entrepreneurs are really struggling with how do you define what you've built it's the Wild West to a certain degree but the answers are maturing and I think uh, regulators starting to wrap their arms around it I think often uh, there are a number of folks who thought um, you know this is all going to end in tears well I think it may for some especially the scammers but for those that have been trying to do this properly for the beginning I think there is the right sort of support there from, from different regulators shifting gears the DTCC of course we had on uh, a couple of shows ago we had Jennifer Peavy on the show um, and they're, they're talking about their 11 Trillion dollar derivatives, um, I think it's credit credit default swap, if I can say it, are uh, getting closer to the blockchain. What's going on here, Colin?
1: All right. So this is a, a project that we've been hearing about for a little while now. So a startup called Exony, which was uh, funded by a number of banks, and I, I believe they raised about $50 million earlier this year. Won a deal with uh, the DTCC. Obviously, uh, this is a very large company in the United States uh, that deals with. Um, they are the the CSD or the Central Securities Depository, um, and they they signed a deal with IBM, uh, R three, and this company Axoni uh, to build a trade in uh, information warehouse. So essentially, CDS or the things uh, credit default swap, uh, which were largely charged for. Um, maybe not creating but exacerbating the 2008-2009 crisis in the United States with subprime mortgages um, uh, one of the issues with them is that they were here there and everywhere nobody really know knew who owned what um, so a lot of those have moved into centralized entities including this dtCC and what they were looking at doing is um, marking each one of those trades down who owns what and putting it inside of a d- distributed ledger of sorts. Um, So they partnered up with this group of companies um, and they've announced uh, just this last week that um, they have seen a lot of positive things come out of this. And by next year, they aim to go to production. Um, This is quite notable because, as you said, $11 trillion in Notional, that is the amount of those contracts, if they were fully paid out, uh, would be $11 trillion or uh, somewhere around the size of uh, the US GDP.
0: Which is really significant. It's really significant, Colin. And if you've seen the movie, The Big Short, of course, the, the credit default swap, and then, of course, then the collateralized debt obligation that... Uh fits all of those cds's inside um uh, largely have been blamed uh for why it was so difficult to see what was going on and why it was so difficult to know what you were being sold during the last financial crisis so this is uh using one of the core tenets of why people consider blockchain or dlt useful this um translucency or transparency or, or certainty of where things are and where what where where everything is to solve a real problem that came up from the financial crisis, and people again will will ask you know, when's this going to be real? They're, they're committing to have it in production next year. This is. Quietly been happening in the background, and Exxonia is a company um, that have gotten money from Andreessen Horowitz, so A16Z, one of the Silicon Valley's key investors, uh, and quietly have just set about building something on the Ethereum code base that uh, I think the uh, kind of the the permissionless community hasn't really paid attention to. But as as that um, marches towards production, maybe we'll see more people building things and. Colin, next story. We saw last week there was the Cybos conference in Toronto. um, And one of the key stories coming out of that was the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nardella, challenges people to build useful blockchain applications. So uh, are we just going to put a blockchain on this one?
1: We're definitely just going to put a blockchain on this. Uh, It was interesting that not only it just challenged people, but specifically Swift, Mm this is interesting for a lot of reasons, and I'm not really sure what what exactly he was getting at, um, but he pointed out that there's a lot of talk about this blockchain and what everything's going to happen, and not only blockchain, but really what is this going to come down and mean for Swift? Um, what are they going to do about this that is concrete and that you can look, feel, and touch that makes any difference in your own life? Or is this just them playing around just to, to stay relevant? And he did issue the challenge that they need to, take a step up and build something i think that's that's a challenge um, that should be shared by not just swift but the whole incumbent industries of financial services that are looking at blockchains it's great to talk about how this is going to change your life or about how you're doing something but you know ship code
0: yeah absolutely at the beginning of a technology, you should be doing two things, talking to customers and writing code. Um, and Swift, uh, of course, as we know, is the members association of 11,000 banks uh, that form standards for how you move money around the world. And every year, most of the GDP that actually moves in terms of real settled payments tends to move through Swift. Uh, so this is a standard for how banks uh, agree with each other, what they owe each other for, on behalf of their customers and so on. And this has been around since the 70s. Um, It moves through um, kind of human, slow, gradual standard building. Um, It's not considered particularly uh, innovative, but it is considered particularly effective since everybody uses that standard. And they all get together at the Cybos conference every year to kind of figure out what they're going to do next. And and, and the last one was in Toronto. But of course, in Toronto as well, just across the street, the the guys over at Ripple uh, did their own Swell conference. And there's a bit of... Uh, There was a bit of um, backbiting, as we mentioned in last week's show, between uh, the Ripple and uh, Swift CEO, with the Swift CEO saying uh, what Swift are doing is not a swell, but is a tsunami, uh, which is just kind of, it's all getting a bit, uh, it's all getting a bit catty, meow. Um, But let's move on, Colin. Uh, The the next story is uh, one that we'll cover very briefly. Uh, Our friends over at R3 have got themselves a patent, it looks like.
1: It looks like they have them out. Um, so uh, two, in fact, as, as I understood, um, that came out in uh, late 2016 that have just now been published. Apparently, that's how the whole process, I'm not overly familiar with it. Um, but essentially, this kind of comes down to how their corda platform works, and particularly around record keeping. Um, lots of things to put in context. One of the bigger ones last year that we saw was uh, several banks that were also members of R3 were out there, um, pushing for their own patents, including uh, Goldman Sachs at the time, which is a partner uh, and Bank of America. So a lot of this could have been saying, you know, we need to get out in front of this and, and put them in. There could be other reasons. I'm not exactly sure, but it is, it is interesting to see some of the details about what it is they're building. If you're not only a coder and you want to understand a bit more about what they're doing, go in, check this out and you can read through all the patent applications and they explain it quite clearly.
0: Indeed. I I often describe, and I I know some companies get angry at me for this, but in the enterprise DLT space, there's probably a three-horse race right now. There's the Ethereum codebase and and its forks. There is the Hyperledger Fabric codebase and its forks. And then there's uh, R3's Corda. An R3's quarter is very, very focused. It is designed to really help you manage the state of agreement. So, um, if you've ever got a legal contract and you've had to sign the last page of a PDF and you've had issues keeping up with track changes after that point, and you know, you've had issues making sure that that contract was was adhered to, it's designed to solve for that specific problem. Um, and it was built for financial services, but it would apply to pretty much any industry. Uh, whereas a number of organizations have kind of, uh, well, a number of technologies, if Ethereum and uh, Hyperledger are both moving in quite different directions. They are more traditional in in how they've done things. Uh, R3 has focused on this notary capability where we elect somebody to perform essentially a a bit like consensus for us. They just notarize the state of those agreements uh, as as time moves. Uh, Whereas Hyperledger Fabric has looked at state channels and Ethereum has a number of potential ways of of, of achieving the same same aim, uh, especially with the Quorum and Zcash and Ethereum-based code, bases that are that are kind of going in a different direction so useful to keep in mind that there are different approaches for solving the same problems um and useful to keep in mind that uh, things keep moving okay uh finally up There's a couple of interesting ones here that that t- caught my attention colin um this one called donate your tab DonateYourTab.to. um so i, I think a couple of weeks ago we might have had a story about people using uh browsers i think pirate bay um had been caught a few times helping people uh, they were might mo- somebody was attacking people and using their browser and their cpu to mine cryptocurrency so you would just be kind of going to i don't know torrent whatever book you were after or 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 something like that and your CPU, your computer or your laptop would suddenly get very very slow and you wouldn't know why turns out somebody was using your computer to mine cryptocurrency for their benefit uh, which, which seems like um, reasonably crafty but and something you don't want this is kind of flipping that on its head so donate your tab.to allows you to spend your own cpu cycles mining cryptocurrency that gets donated to charity um, so they mine a cryptocurrency called Monero, uh, and Monero, as some of you know, is optimized for CPU-based mining, so the, the central processing unit inside your laptop or your, or your PC. And they, in their FAQ, they talk about if each browser tab makes $0.05 cents a day, then 100,000 users over a year would make, uh, they reckon, uh, about $185,000 for charity, which, nice nice little use case here. I, I found this one interesting. Colin, did you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought this was quite an interesting idea. If, if people want to contribute to this, um, uh, years ago, before we ever started talking about cryptocurrency, there were things like um, folding at home, which is where you could donate your computer um, to, I believe it was MIT. And uh, they would use your computer horsepower to calculate all kinds of complex things for the human genome project or something like that. Um, I don't know the details, but this is, this is very similar in that it's going to a good cause I've also seen recently um, ideas floating around to take this and say, well, rather than looking at ads on your website, why don't I just let you use the background of my computer to mine stuff while I'm reading a story on New York Times or whatever it is? Um, I think that this is the start of a trend and we're going to see more and more of these things come out because very interestingly, it started as a computer virus and people have said, well, why don't we use this thing for positive uh, aspects? Um, So keep
0: your eye on this trend. Definitely. And speaking of MIT, um, they're actually starting issuing their diplomas using the Bitcoin blockchain itself. Um, If you ever lose your diploma, you can pretty much guarantee that it's going to be backed up now. You can. I just hope you don't lose your keys for it, or else, then what happens? Uh, I wonder if MIT have some multi sig going on there. Uh, all right, that's it for the news this week. Uh, don't forget, listeners, uh, you can let us know what you want to hear about on the show, uh, or just give us your views on stories we've covered on Twitter. You can get in touch at B Chain Insider. That's the letter B, Chain Insider, to share your thoughts. Or just hit us up at Colin G Platt or at SY Taylor if you want to pick up anything with us personally. Or you can just drop us an email at podcast11fs.com. At We'd love to hear from you. Uh, just a reminder: uh, 11FS, is the company that brings you this podcast, we're a challenger agency, we help banks asset managers, anybody with a challenge in blockchain or DLT to achieve more, to get live and to do real things. If you want to understand how to commercialize blockchain projects, when they're going to be real or just have a speaker for your next event, uh, we hope that you'll get in touch. Drop us a line at hello at 11fs.co.uk or hit up our website at 11fs.com. Now I need to get to the interview, and there's only one, but what an interview we have. We have the CEO of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, speaking to our own Sam Maul from the Swell Conference in Toronto. So, over to Sam.
2: Welcome to another edition of Blockchain Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Maul. We're in Toronto, in easily the coolest building that I've been in in the past two days. I think that's safe to say. We're with Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple. Wearing an incredibly nice suit, which I wasn't expecting.
3: Thank you. You know, we went in uh, Rome. We're here at Cybos as a banking conference, a lot of banking meetings. So uh, you got to wear the part.
2: And uh, your staff has asked me to point out the socks, Michael, if you would pan down. They do match the tie, they match the concept of Swell. You have your own conference called Swell. Most importantly, the name
3: came from. Swell, really, there's a lot of Ripple uh, water metaphors in what we do. Okay. Uh, you know, our core product is called X-Current. Uh, the next product we launched is called X-Rapid. Uh, so Swell is kind of building on the kind of water theme of what Ripple is doing and kind of spreading the ripples around uh, around everything we're doing. That,
2: that effect, right? That, that effect, constantly exactly. Goes.
3: I mean, ultimately, as you know, uh, Ripple is really focused on how do we enable an Internet of value? How do we make value move the way information moves today? And that's our big kind of multi-year, 10-year view of how the world will evolve. And it's really how to dial that back and to make it tactical and real today and tomorrow. And I think if you want to enable an internet of value, you've got to connect the repositories of value. And the repositories of value, as big as the Bitcoin value proposition is today, the banks own trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of assets. So if we want to enable an internet of value, we've got to connect the banks and payment service providers and MSBs And uh, we're excited to have made a bunch of progress on that.
2: So how are you feeling with the conference so far? This is the inaugural event for this. We'll talk about the timing and some other things that are happening in Toronto. But overall, how do you think the conference has gone after your first day?
3: Look, I'm thrilled. And I will admit, uh, you know, there's a certain nervousness when you have your inaugural event. Things running smoothly. Uh, Almost, are people going to show up? You know, uh, yesterday we had kind of our, our, our lead keynote with Ben Bernanke, interviewed by Gene Yeah, Sperling. I was going to come there, by the way. So, if you're going to have your
2: first event, Ben Bernanke, nice. nice you got Sir, yeah, you you got uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee coming up. You've got uh, Don Tascott. You've you you right. Stefan
3: Thomas and Vitalik this but, afternoon. Yeah, was, uh, that should be great.
2: Yeah, you. you uh, when you look at the speaker list and the buzz that, that we've heard maybe at a different conference that's going on, which we will talk about... Um,
3: well done. Right? Thank That's you. the way to do it. Yeah. So as for the inaugural event, I'm thrilled. I think, uh, you know, there's always things you'll learn and we can do better. But, uh, you know, to some degree, we we're trying to be the unconference uh, relative to the, the, the Cybos. You know, I, I think we did try to be complimentary with some of what they're doing. But Ripple has been fortunate. We've got a lot of customers. And we heard last year, our customers, they want to hear more from us. And we felt like the best way to do that is to set up shop here. Uh, and it's, it's been great so far. It's been very busy. Uh, you know, packed house for Bernanke and a bunch of the sessions yesterday. And I expect the same today. Yeah, it's, it's
2: interesting. I've, I've been around Ripple forever and a day, right? Um, back when Chris Larson was there. And, and one thing I appreciate about Chris is he constantly learned how to refine the message, right? In the space you're in, educating bankers, corporates across the piece, that's a huge part of this right sure. this, this isn't a simple <laughs> no, yeah. this is not a simple topic right, right yeah. um so that that idea what you talked about about building this conference out makes sense because education and that component of it is massive
3: yeah i yeah you know, i think one of the things that has served ripple incredibly well is i think in contrast to some in the community that are kind of taking a very horizontal view we're talking about literally over 100 use cases we've been very specific about one right Payments, particularly cross-border payments. And let's go deep in really understanding that, that product set, that need, that customer, how you sell into that customer. And so I think, you know, as I look at where we are today relative to a year ago, I think that that focus and really understanding that segment and that customer and being able to go deep and really solving that problem has served us incredibly well. And it, it will remain focused on payments. It's obviously a massive industry, the problems we're solving can be measured in the trillions of dollars. That isn't to say that I don't think there's other great blockchain use cases, and eventually maybe Ripple will address some others. But today I kind of view it as the earliest days of Amazon, where Amazon said, hey, we're a bookseller. I mean, the first name of Amazon was not Amazon, it was Amazon Books. And, you know, they, they built a platform to survey need to sell books. And then they did another vertical and another vertical and another vertical and then obviously productized the platform. I think the best way to build platform technologies isn't by trying to be that horizontal, because by the time you build a platform, the needs have changed and evolved. If you build it really successfully for one vertical, in this case, a really big one, you can put yourself in a really b- good position to build it up for others as well. So
2: I wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was young, so I always look for key comments that was made. So you said something that was interesting if you look back over the past year. So you've been CEO since January. Yep. You've been with Ripple though since 2015, right? You are right. president and CEO. So, so personally, I think when you look at a company, you look to the CEO and, and they really help establish the culture and focus of what they're doing. So if you look back over the past year, from January to now, and we're surrounded at a very cool conference how would you kind of summarize your stamp on the company and your tenure as CEO?
3: Well, so you're right. I've been the company two and a half years. Uh, and, it, you know, Chris and I really, Chris Larson, the founder and previous CEO. And a great guy. And a, really a great guy. Lovers. We've had a great partnership and we're very complementary in many ways. And so, you know, he remains very involved in the company as chairman. And I talk to him almost every day. It's not a demarcation point that I look at and say, hey, January 1, when I officially took over as CEO, that there's some left turn or right turn. You didn't change the logo, (laughs) Yeah, okay, just making sure. Yeah, but you know, I think uh, for me, it's been the, the mark over maybe two and a half years of really driving that focus and really understanding that customer. And you know, you have been around Ripple for a long time and you know, there are other use cases that Ripple had toyed with in the early days and some other what I'll call in retrospect experiments. You know, I think really over the last two and a half years, we've gotten increasingly focused and gone deep around this segment. And again, I think that's served us really well. You know, the, the only thing that's, I think, materially changed during the course of 2017 is, and I do agree with you, that personalities of the leadership impact the culture of an organization. You know, I like to be aggressive. Uh, and I think even, you know, what you're seeing here with Swell is, look, I think Ripple's an incredibly good place, and we've been incredibly fortunate. Part of that skill, part of that's luck, but it is to press our advantage. And, you know, I think we want to continue to be aggressive in the ecosystem, continue to invest in the ecosystem. I think you know we have some uh, things we're teed up for Q4 that I'm really excited about to continue to invest in the overall ecosystem. And when I say that, by the way, I'm not even just talking about the XRP ecosystem. I, I will also be a little long-winded here just to say, I, I think all boats will rise in the blockchain world. Like I, I'm rooting, okay. I'm long Bitcoin, you know, I, uh, I want the whole ecosystem to do well, and I think that will serve Ripple well. When I see things in the ecosystem that I think are bad for the ecosystem, I think it's bad for Ripple. And so, yeah, I'm going to speak out against that. ICOs, I think, are a, uh, one of those examples.
2: I can check that one off the list. We were going to come to that. Um, so as an outside observer, somebody watching this, uh, for, for the listeners, I'll give you a great example. Um Cybos is going on. So the you know, incredibly established banking conference. I've spoken there a bunch of times. Ripple has a massive booth and presence at Cybos, hence the incredibly wonderful outfit that you're dressed in. It's so again, very well established, a lot of suits. It, it's Cybos. It, it is what it is. We noticed when we walked outside all the ripple cars lined up, which made me smile and went, oh, okay, that's a stamp of, hey, we're here, right? I'm um I like that by the way, I like seeing that, you know,
3: but, but again, you do, you are part of that conference too. You, you have your stamp
2: there and have been.
3: And look, I I mean, very genuinely, we have tried very hard to be complimentary with Cybos, you know, and even when Ben Bernanke, we did our keynote here with Ben Bernanke, we intentionally scheduled that around the keynotes at Cybos because ultimately look, we want our customer, which are the banks, if they want to attend, we don't want to put them in a position we have to choose. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff going on here in Toronto, I've been over to Cybos a bunch. Uh, we've been on the floor of Cybos for three or four years, uh, and, we're, and we're there this year, and you know, we will continue to be. But we also, you know, again, as I said, I, a lot of our customers said they wanted to hear more from us, you know the programming we're doing here is a little bit different and it's a little bit more of the the fusion between finance and technology and you know i think that has served us well we had a lot of interest in participating and being here
2: what i like about swell the conference that you're having we're not paid to do this by the way guys this is just me being complimentary so looking at the camera it's very narrowly focused and you had talked about that right you near from from ripple overall it's 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 continually narrowing the focus, if you will, of what we're going to do and what we're gonna be good at. And what I like about this conference, it's the same thing, right? And I like the the intimacy of these type of conferences, the on-conference approach, right? Cybos is literally thousands upon thousands of participants, Monday 2020, which next week, the same thing, right? You go to a sales force, you have to rent damn cruise ships and put people on them, it's just ridiculous. I'm a huge fan of these type of conferences where you get Ben Bernanke and he talks. You literally have a chance to walk up and talk to him.
3: Yeah, we definitely wanted to keep it small. You know, I don't mind sharing with you. We uh, had a, a couple thousand people that wanted to be at Swell that we turned away, okay. and that isn't because we don't want more people engaged with Ripple. It's because we wanted to make sure we had the highest quality audience on stage and in the audience. Uh, people that really are influencers and customers and can affect. The vision we have around the internet of value
2: so you are really doing this well by the way this is fantastic it's like you read my notes so let's talk about that you have one of my favorite lines blockchain tourists i love that i love that comment yeah. what do you mean by blockchain tourists
3: you know i i have seen having been doing this for you know almost three years now uh there's a lot of companies that come along and they're just kicking the tires that yeah. you know which is okay. Well, it's they okay. Should. Yeah, I, I, I was quoted saying that. I did say it, and I'll say it again. But it's not intended to be as derogatory, maybe, as it came across, which is, look, I think people should experiment around blockchain. The, the, the demarcation I'm really trying to make is Ripple has had the good fortune of having real customers touching production systems, moving real value, not sandboxes, experiments, right. and tests.
2: Not theory, not hypothesis. Now, yeah, this
3: isn't a white paper, right? And to take the most extreme example. and you know, So it, it, to me, uh, blockchain tourists are people who, you know, look, they're really interested in the space. They're learning about space. They're kicking the tires. The good news for Ripple is we have a lot of demand that aren't blockchain tourists. Right. They are, uh, you know, seasoned travel veterans uh, that are, know what they're trying to solve and they're trying to solve a real problem. And we want to spend our time with that, segment uh, because, you know, although we've grown our headcount a lot this year, we continue to uh, have more demand than really we can handle quickly.
2: Right. Which is a good problem, by it's the way. It's a good problem, but it's still a
3: problem. It, yeah,
2: it is. And it's one you have to address and know. I, and I want to touch on that a little bit because your background to me was very interesting. You, you came from Hytale. You were the CEO at Hytale. This right. isn't your first rodeo, if you will. Um, you were at Yahoo. You've been at AOL. So you're, you've been around tech in different formats, and so there, you can bring that type of leadership and that, that background to Ripple, which is another thing I, that I like so much. But Hightails not exactly a blockchain.
3: No, not at all. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a funny, the kind of serendipity of how I ended up here, I, you know, I would have described myself as a uh, crypto enthusiast. Uh, I owned some Bitcoin uh, by virtue of being connected with some, some good friends who have been, you know, patient zeros, if you will. Uh, a guy named Wenceslas Casares, uh, a gentleman named Dave Goldberg, who unfortunately passed away, but and a guy named Mickey Malka, uh people I've all known from uh, being around Silicon Valley for a long time and had, in one way or another, advocated. And so I had purchased some Bitcoin, which uh, I'm glad that they were advocating. Good for you, by
2: uh, the way, because I looked at it and went, you know, this is pretty a pretty good investment in 2011. Told three friends of mine, let's all pitch in a hundred bucks, and damn it,
3: <laughs> yeah, You should have done it. <laughs> but didn't. you know, look, I, I then and even now think you know some of the consumer use case that had a lot of the excitement and energy in 2015 when I joined Ripple, I felt was early and premature. And so you know, Ripple, and as you know, I mean, Ripple was a little bit of a contrarian uh, or a lot of a contrarian, and kind of saying, look. We don't think governments are going away. We don't think banks are going away. We don't think fiat currency is going away. But we still think there's a role for digital assets to play in reducing friction and accelerating the speed and reducing costs associated with payments. So, uh, I, you know, when I started to talk to Chris Larson, they were recruiting to hire somebody as COO. Uh, the, the, being a Bitcoin enthusiast or crypto enthusiast married with, I thought, a very pragmatic vision uh, of how you actually bring this forward. And revolution are, revolutions rarely happen by going to the end point first. Instead, it's, you know, it's a crawl. I use the expression internally about crawl, walk, run. And you, know, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. And I think uh, the progress Ripple's making for the industry uh, is, you know, I think, moving the whole revolution forward. Well, one
2: thing I like about Ripple, too, is the ability to um, retain talent. Which in in tech as a whole is incredibly difficult, right? It's incredibly competitive. The fact that um, Stephen Thomas is still he's here today, right? Brilliant um, individual. The idea that you're able to keep those. Chris is still, like you said, active on the board but i know you're seeing that right oh, the, yeah. the, the fight for talent
3: look i love that you brought this up partly because i think it's you know people Did like you get talk the headlines
2: by the way he loved that i, brought
3: that <laughs> up. I do you know I, I think the culture of an organization is really important and i think you know silicon valley and various examples have kind of lost sight of that at times and i, I think we've been fortunate that ripples had a great culture that uh continues to challenge people like Stefan, who i do think is a genius and, you know, he, he makes, he, he humbles me easily. He's, I don't actually know how old he is, but I think he still has a two as the first handle.
2: Yeah, it's depressing when you talk to him. Yeah, but, <laughs> all right.
3: You know, look, I, I think uh, the people at Ripple are engaged because they believe in the mission. They believe in the big vision that we're trying to achieve. You know, there's no question that if you are building an organization where it's all about, hey, I want to make a bunch of money, then yeah, you're going to see people exit. You know, I think... We have been very focused on a big picture of what we want to achieve over a 10-year period, and uh, our, our leadership team's been you know, strong and uh, stable, and you know, I think people are excited by uh, w- the progress we're making. So let's
2: talk about culture and mission a little bit. Again, you segue incredibly well. I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, we should actually do an interview on segways. That would be <laughs> that would fun, be Michael. Too. Yeah. Um, at Gates Foundation, Costa Peric is a great friend of mine. He's, he's, he's a Great guy, Gates Foundation, yeah, fabulous. Guy, yeah. The uh, Mojo Loop and the project you're doing with them, you want to talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, look, I'm really excited about that work. Uh, you know, back to being a mission-driven company. Uh, look, I-, I will admit, I'm a capitalist, and I want to make build a business. Uh, but it's awesome to be at a company where I feel like we can put our dent in the universe. Uh, you know, as Ripple achieves success, you can start to see tangibly how that could have, you know, Ripple effects. Well done. Bear with me uh as to how that can impact society in grander ways we've actually been working with the gates foundation for a long time now uh, i think around two years maybe a little bit longer and so to finally have some of that work announced publicly is really gratifying and i think uh very much on mission for what ripple's trying to do and uh, we're, we're couldn't be happier about it coast has been a fabulous advocate and you know i do think there's a certain irony of he as the chief architect of Swiftnet.
2: Yeah, I was going to uh, go there, don't worry.
3: <laughs> but you know, he's been a, a big advocate of some of the yeah. core, particularly interledger protocol and in what we're doing there and uh, just couldn't be more excited about what they have going on.
2: And I, and I love the focus of financial inclusion, right? Again, taking something and I'm a capitalist, right? Obviously, you want to build a company for the long haul, but being able to I think the term give back is overused, but you know what I mean? I mean, you can look and you take these technology-type solutions and introduce them into environments like India, right? For sure. Um, where you can come in, and some of the challenges that you would face, for example, in the U.S., right, or North America, thanks to technology and the solutions they have, you can kind of leapfrog the legacy problems. That
3: we right, have. yeah. Well, but mobile is the best example. Exactly. of this. We saw it very tangibly in, you know, a lot of Southeast Asia countries, uh, certainly Africa, where you know, you just skip the landline entirely, which is far more efficient. And so I think in some markets, you may find that, you know, the, the legacy infrastructure, what Ben Bernanke called yesterday, the horse and buggy, you know, we, we skip right past that. And, you know, it's, it's going to be fun to watch some of those markets. And certainly, again, the Gates Foundation is so influential and uh, so effective in being focused and how do we have an impact? And so, you know, they, they've been just amazing champions. And I'm excited by how that could play out.
2: I'm um, also the news that you had about the accelerator, this, the, uh, which I actually like because it's almost an accelerator for banks. Yeah. <laughs> which is, by the way, the unconference on accelerator. Um, it's I a rap, the by the way.
3: RippleNet Accelerator Program. WAP. Yeah. Rap. yeah. Rap. yeah. Well, we don't really call it wrap. <laughs> RippleNet Accelerator Program. <laughs> we, we're super excited about it. I, I think this is an example, by the way, of how we can take advantage of the unique position Ripple is in to invest in the ecosystem really tangibly and accelerate the work we're doing. Uh, you know, obviously, the headline you probably have seen is you know we're committing three hundred million dollars of XRP to accelerate the network effects that we're already starting to see. But if we can have that happen more quickly, more customers, we're quickly getting into production. Uh, that's all the better. Uh, you know, the earliest days of Visa, they had various incentive programs to drive that adoption, and I view this very similarly.
2: I like the idea because you are literally putting skin in the game, right? I mean, you're betting on yourself, if you will. For sure. So I, I love the concept. I love the idea. Yeah. of doing that what's what's been the reception so far i'm curious oh, that's
3: great phone won't stop ringing yeah i mean you know, we intentionally announced that right before cybos uh knowing yeah, that we timing have was good by the way. you know we'll have a couple hundred bank meetings while we're here and we you know we, we timed that intentionally because we want to drive adoption we want to accelerate adoption and that means you know more customers deploying more quickly moving more volume uh and again we think that's just good for the whole ecosystem
2: yeah i know it's working because when we pulled up there were a lot of suits Sitting outside, and not at all what I was expecting, yeah. <laughs> by the way, when we showed up. And that made me smile. Yeah. Consortiums are interesting. So I'm, I want to go there just a little bit. Yeah, sure. um, I've been around payments you know, forever and a day. We've seen, you know, for example, MCX. We've seen <laughs> uh, the worst-named product ever of ISIS. Um, God, <laughs> I actually worked on that, too. So the, the concept of consortiums is hard. Yeah. And within this community, within the blockchain community, you know, we have consortiums. Sure, By default, sure. um, we had the recent news as far as uh, the legal action with R3. Can right. you discuss where we're at?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Today? So uh, we, both R3 sued Ripple. Ripple sued R3. Uh, you know, to some degree, it's a, it's a contract dispute. We entered into a partnership. There were compensation for delivering on that partnership. You know, I think R3 uh, uh, is trying to paint it simply about you know the, the option agreement. You know, it's it's a broader partnership. Uh, our suit, I think, speaks for itself, and that we feel like very clearly. I don't think R3 has lived up to the commitments they have made. The first step in that litigation was a, a suit that R3 brought against Ripple in Delaware. That case was dismissed last week, and the case overall will continue. Now that the case we brought against R3 will continue in California, uh, so we, it's it's not. Over, uh, but you know, we think it's nice to see that Delaware took our view that you know that wasn't the right venue to even consider the case.
2: <laughs> this whole concept of consortiums and making them successful, right? And again, you're you're not new to the game. You've 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 led multiple companies. Without getting too uh, simplistic here, what makes it so hard? And would you agree we need some sort of a standardization or of approach when okay, it comes sure. to payments?
3: Yeah. Well, so first of all, I want to double-click on the word consortium just for a moment. Just You know, I think that word has been a little bit bastardized to be a little...
2: Uh, like AI, like crashed. blockchain, like take your pick.
3: Well, right? I mean, look, historically, a consortium was a group of people coming together with equity participation. And now you have what all, you know, uh, things that are called consortium, they're like, that's not really a consortium. But, you know, it's a, uh, when I think about... The consortiums, some of them are just soft, you know, they're open source software initiatives, right? And, you know, people say, hey, we have 100 members in our consortium. It's like, no, you have 100 participants in an open source software platform. Okay. You know, I, I think for Ripple, it has been about, like, how do we bring real volume into production? And, you know, people contributing to open source technology is, is does not make one a... A member of a consortium.
2: I see a t-shirt from Princess Bride. I don't think that word means exactly what you think it means. Good good meme, right? Yes. I made your marketing person just laugh right now. I'm proud of myself. So, looking forward, l- let's talk about this conference, come back to it a little bit, because we started there. Where do you see this in two or three years? Do you see it growing in size, or do you like the intimacy?
3: You know, my honest answer is I don't know. And that's uh, a
2: great answer, by the way. I'm glad know, you said look, that.
3: Look, this is yesterday, I guess we're a day and a half into... The event yesterday I think it was a huge success on a lot of different levels. I'm super pleased. You know, I had one conversation last night after a couple drinks, thinking about you know what does what does it look like next year. You know, no decisions have been made. You know, I, I think without a doubt we want to make sure that we remain a part of the conversation with Cybos and with banking. Uh, and if that means that we're doing something to the side, that's great. But you know, I think it's to, to be to be determined. It is important to me, to your point. I, I like having a an intimate gathering of a bunch of influential people in the industry that uh, it's not just you know, talking heads, uh, you're really having a conversation and a dialogue.
2: Yeah, it, and that, that's it, right? Just not on stage and you're just yeah. spouting, it's actually getting that feedback yep. and, and taking it back with your product teams and saying, this might be interesting where we go. So let's talk about payments then and let's focus on North America since my focus is for my company North America. When can you please fix payments? Because this is absolutely a nightmare. When you go overseas, right? Yeah. We, we talked about this, the leapfrog effect, right? Yeah. India or Africa, take your pick on mobile, and Asia. And then we come back to the U.S. We're both, you're from Kansas, I'm from Detroit originally, right. so we're U.S. boys. Yeah.
3: What the heck? Yeah, you know, it is, it, I marvel at it. And I admit, because I didn't come from the banking or payments industry, you know, as I was learning about Ripple and what they're trying to do, it's just unbelievable to me that, you know, truly the most efficient way for me to get money to London today would be to go buy a ticket at the airport here in Toronto and fly it there. Yes, That's a crazy thing. I mean, I can stream video from the space station, yet I can't move my own money from pay to point A to point B efficiently. Uh, these are infinitely fixable things. Uh, and, I, you know, it is a crawl, walk, run dynamic, uh, but I'm super excited by, you know, the, 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 what, the progress we're seeing, the momentum that is building. It took us, you know, a long time to sign our first bank and then it was a little faster to our next bank and our next bank. You know, I, I am very excited about the pipeline for Q4 and feel like particularly with this uh, RippleNet Accelerator program where we're investing to incentives to even accelerate things more. I'm super excited about where we sit.
2: Well, I think influencing and, and what you're doing with folks like Ben Bernanke, right? At, that targeted education and getting those supposed people in. Yeah. right? Where it's not anarchy, right? Um, is, a, is an important move, right? Both within um, the, the regulatory side and the banking side. So, again, the accelerator, the work with the Gates Foundation, um, you know, getting the thumbs up from Bill Gates is not a bad yeah, thing yeah, in this yeah, day and age. Yeah. So the moves, Brad, I really like. Um, and the socks are fantastic.
3: <laughs> thank okay? you. Thank That's you. That's what matters. Brad, thanks I appreciate for the time. It. Hey, this is great. I really appreciate it. Yeah.
0: A big thank you to our guest, Brad and of course the wonderful sam maul um colin g platt colin thank you for being with us i hope you have a good rest of your week Uh, and thank you for listening if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast leave us a review on itunes i cannot tell you how much those reviews help us spread the word and tell all your friends and everyone you know to listen to we'll have more blockchain insider next week goodbye